right, students. Today, we will finish talking about the Aeneid. We will talk about Book 7, Part 2, and then we will talk about Book 12 and the final battle between Turnus and Aeneas. So recall yesterday that we finally made it to Italy, Hesperia, Ausonia, and to the city of Latium, where we met Latinus the king, Queen Amata, and the beautiful young Lavinia. Reminded us a bit of Nausicaa from the Phaeacian island Scoria in the Odyssey. That said, we met these Latin people, and we made a good impression on them. We sent, how many envoys was it that Aeneas sent to this King Latinus? Yes? One hundred. envoys! Okay, here's an interesting question. Who recalls what King Latinus sent home with each and every one of these envoys? Yes? Horses and carriages. Horses and carriages. At the very least, a horse. Was it a carriage, too? I can't even recall whether... I said that. Yes, a hundred envoys, each a horse decked with gold trappings. And these are uh, God-born horses, too, uh, from the stock of Circe, who made it with ordinary mares, but with the immortal horses of her father, the son. Interesting. They are very interesting. In any case, things are going quite well. And recall that it was the case that King Latinus had just received a prophecy from his father, Faunus, saying what about his daughter and who she should marry. Yes? A foreigner! And, well, which people have just showed up on his coast, yes? And the Trojans, though they are bound by blood with these Latin people, through whom? Which of their ancestors is related both to them and to these Latins, yes? Not Saturn, not Saturn, though Saturn is, uh, you know, all humans are descended from Saturn in some ways through Cronus, or, excuse me, through uh, Jove, yes? That's close. It is a D name, yes? Ah, it is Dardanus, from which the Trojans perceive their name, the Dardanians. In fact, there is a guy named Dardanian in uh, Three Musketeers. Very interesting that here we're talking about appropriate marriage arrangements, too. We've talked about that so frequently in the Aeneid. When you read The Pride, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, senior year, which I'm listening through to again, you'll see that marriage is such a big and important part of life. In fact, I think you've seen that in the Odyssey, and I think you saw that very much in the Iliad, because what caused the Trojan War? Uh, or at least the falling apart of a marriage through the actions of Paris and Helen. In any case, things are going well for the Trojans and the Latins so far. They've met each other, they seem to like each other, and it's already the case that the king is offering his daughter to this new Aeneas. It seems as if there's not going to have to be a war at all, except for one fact. Lavinia is always already promised to another man. What is the name of that man? Yes, Turnus. We will see him fighting Aeneas to the death at the end of this uh, lecture, at the end of this lecture. And who is it that probably, or who we will soon find out, likes Turnus a little bit more than this new foreign Aeneas, yes? Lavinia's mom, Queen Amata. And so Juno sees that things are going so well between the Latins and the Trojans, just as things had been going so well down in Sicily before she had the ships burned by the women through Iris, just as things had been going fairly well between Dido and Aeneas. And whenever things are going well for the Trojans and Aeneas, what is it that... Juno most desires more than anything in the world, like Queen Maleficent. To cause chaos and ruin and spoil things. She loves to spoil parties. She's like Eris, goddess 
of discord. In any case, Juno sees the Trojans in Italy and seeks help from the Fury Electo in the Underworld. These cursed Trojans, he says, lines 292 to 304, they have escaped Troy and have avoided all the troubles I have tried to inflict upon them and now have reached their haven in Latium. Mars and Diana could get their way against mortals, but I, Jupiter's wife, cannot and am defeated by Aeneas. If I am powerless, I will unleash the powers of Hades. Straight down to Hades, straight down to Tartarus, the deepest, darkest, uh, worst-smelling part of it. And there, she says, Aeneas may get his bride, uh, this slightly before, actually, but I will delay this event as long as possible, and the, this marriage will be as unlucky as that of Hecuba, who bore Paris, who then caused the Trojan War. Now she goes down to the earth, summons Electo, a snake-covered fury, loathed even by Dis and her sisters from the underworld, and she says this, Grant me a favor. Stop Aeneas from this marriage and protect my honor. Spread hatred and war everywhere. You will soon see that uh, Electo is perfectly suited to this task. She is, of all the demons in Greek, Ro Greco-Roman hell, the worst of these demons. She is literally a creature that dispels rationality in humans. She is like delusion, but in some ways worse. She replaces your cold rationality, your stoic principles, with uh, vitriolic hate. She makes it so that emotion totally overwhelms a demon. In fact, it's very interesting the psychological connection between what summons the Furies, which is the letting of the blood of your own kin in the Greco-Roman uh, beliefs, and the effects they have on someone. Generally, they drive you insane. And so, we will see again, we will see again the consequences of not using one's head, of not thinking ahead, and of giving way to vitriolic or powerful emotion. In any case, Electo accepts the job and she shoots up from Tartarus, Tartarus straight to Queen Amata in order to ensure that Earth becomes more heavenly or more hell-like. Of course, that's what she brings. Come from hell, bring hell. In any case, she arrives at the palace and besieges the threshold of the queen, already upset with the arrival of the Trojans and the failure of the planned marriage with Turnus. Electo then hurls into Amata a snake that poisons her mind and heart against Aeneas as it fashions itself into a necklace and ribbon. She throws it on to her, and like like the, uh, the sort of crest from the never-ending story, which you'll notice is like an Ouroboros, it's a snake that eats its own tail, uh, this snake slithers about Amata and becomes a necklace on her. It becomes sort of an artifact, interestingly enough, and what it does is it poisons her insides, poisons her, her feelings towards Aeneas. It makes her hate him and the Trojans. And to Latinus, she then says, Is our daughter to be given to this stranger? Isn't he just like Paris, stealing a bride? Second time Aeneas has been compared to Paris. He's got to be kind of getting sick of this. What of your word, Dictarnus? He is also from foreign stock. He is technically a Rutulian, not a Latin, so I guess you could make that claim. But that would be like you saying... You know, you're a Californian, and this person over here is from Arizona, and so you're technically foreign. Not exactly the same thing. In any case, he is also from foreign stock, tracing his ancestry back to Argos, which would make him Greek. But the Greeks here will lose to the Trojans, just as they will later lose to the Trojans by losing Thea, or Thessaly, uh, Argos, and also Sparta to the Romans. In any case, Latinus stands firm, and then Amata, like a Bacante, rages through the city and is compared to a top spun around by boys. I want you to think about that. When you spin a top, is it in control or out of control? Out of control. Totally out of control. It's like her head is spinning around. She's spinning about and she's 
She's getting the other women to go with her, and in fact, actually, they end up going out to the forest and engaging in Bacchic rites, which, well, something about the Bacante, they were very wild. They were the worshippers of Bacchus or Dionysus, the god of frenzy and wine. They would go out into the woods, and supposedly at certain times they would rip wild animals apart. Um, in fact, if you want to read uh, the, the Bacchae, you'll see not only a wild animal get ripped apart, but a human get ripped apart in it. Very brutal. In any case, rumor spreads. The story and Amada, driven by Electro, is joined by the women of the cities. As I said, they start a Bacchic revelry and, let's see, proclaiming the marriage of Turnus and Lavinia. O oh, mothers, celebrate these rites with me if you care for me at all. So, she's trying to fight against this marriage as hard as she possibly can. In any case, during that time, Electo goes to visit a second person who is going to help her do the will of Juno by sowing discord. This person now is, of course, Turnus. Having thrown Latinus' house into a frenzy, Electo heads for Ardea, founded by Danao. Remember, that's the mother of... Who remembers who that's the mother of? Perseus? And once a great city where Turnus sleeps, Electo disguised as Calibe, an aged priestess of Juno, I love this, wakes Turnus and says, Are you going to allow Latinus to take your marriage agreement away without a struggle and give Lavinia to a foreigner? Juno told me to have you raise an army and destroy the Trojans and demand your rights from Latinus again, sowing hatred for these new foreign Trojans. Not only do the women in the city of Latium now hate the Trojans under the influence of Juno and of Queen Amata, but now the Rutulians, the direct neighbors uh, and allies to the Latins, will hate the Trojans. But not quite yet, because at first Turnus is rather rational, keeps his mind uh, well. Uh, uh, Electo will have to do <laughs> a little bit more with him. So Turnus actually responds to her and mocks her because she's an aged priestess, and he's like, what do you know about war, honestly? I have heard that a foreign fleet has arrived, and Juno is my protector, but you are an old priestess and should look after your duties in the temple. War and peace are the business of men. Electa then freaks out and reveals herself in all her snaky horror. She gives up, she totally gives up her disguise and screams at him. See how weak I am. I come from the underworld and carry war and death in my hands. And so she hurls a torch into Turnus's breast. So it'll be as if his heart is set on what? Fire. Fire. And thus we have fire imagery again attached to and tethered to another person. What happens whenever we see fire imagery tethered to a person, whether it be Achilles at the end of the Iliad or Aeneas at the end of the Aeneid, we'll soon see that, or Dido at the end of book four. What happens, what does that mean about somebody in their state of emotion? That their emotions are thrown into what? Chaos, turmoil, tumult, tumult. They become tumultuous in any case. After this torch is thrown into the breast of Turnus and inflames him with a frenzied desire for war, he vows to the gods to defend Italy and drive out these Trojans, declaring that he has more than enough to deal with Latinus and these Trojans. And his people are roused by his cry, much like Achilles. In the Iliad, his cry, recall it, killing several men. His beauty, he's a very handsome man, apparently. His ancestors, his people have been strong and leaders for a long time. And his brave deeds. Turner sounds like a pretty stubbly guy. And it seems uh, sort of like a shame 
that he and Aeneas have to come into conflict in this way. Very similar to uh, the fact that it is a shame that Hector and Achilleus have to come into conflict. You might matter, imagine had Hector been born in Achaean, he would have really gotten along with many of the Achaeans. That said, they were not from the same people. They were at odds. They had to fight. They had to kill each other. All right. Electo now visits her third and final person. She visits Ulysses, Ascanius, the son of Aeneas. And she drives his dogs on. He's been hunting. He's bored. He doesn't know what to do. And so what does he want to do? He wants to go hunting a bit. He's finally off this ship. He's in a place with good forest land. Well, his dogs pick up a scent. They pick up a scent for what? Well, it's the most common animal to hunt. It has horns. We call it a what? A deer. A deer. Yes. Yes. So Electro heads to the shore where she inflames Ulysses' hunting dogs with the scent of a deer. The thing about this particular deer, of all the deers that could have been hunted, of all the deer, excuse me, it's plural and singular, this particular stag happens to be the royal herdsman's daughter's, her name is Sylvia, pet deer. She apparently has a pet stag, not usually a domestic animal, sort of weird, maybe you have a friend who has an undomesticated animal. I don't know, something like a rabbit, maybe they're domesticated, or a raccoon. Anybody have a friend with an undomesticated animal and they're like, it's normal, but it's not? Yes? Raccoon. raccoon. Somebody with a raccoon, maybe with a fox or a wolf. I, I used to think that you could tame wolves, but then I read an article by Vice and you cannot tame a wolf. Uh, it takes many, many generations to turn them into dogs. In any case, we did that a long time ago. So, the dogs have caught the scent of this stag. It is a domesticated stag that belongs to a Latin person. Can you already see where this is going to go? Of course. The stag is out for a little bath, floating along in the river. Isn't this a peaceful scene? It's just having a good time. You can just hear the freaky, intense music start. Boom, 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 boom. It's just having a good time, floating, 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 and then all of a sudden, Ulysses and the dogs, rah, 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 rah. Ulysses sees the stag. What do you do with stags when you see them if you're a hunter? You take out your bow and your arrow, and you shoot him. And Ulysses shoots the stag, hits it in the haunch, does not kill it, wounds it. And so it's all like, rrr, rrr, rrr. I don't know what noise a wounded deer makes to any of you. In any case, it makes some sort of bleeding sound. And it runs away, and it returns home to its mother, Sylvia, its caretaker. Who has done this? Who has done this to my stag? She calls for help. And the farmers grab any tools as weapons, like pitchforks and things like that. And what are they going to do with those pitchforks, this new mob? Well, they're going to hunt down whoever attacked this stag. Who attacked this stag? Ulysses and the Trojans. The Ulysses and the Trojans are all seasoned veterans, fighters. What's going to happen when these farmers with pitchforks attempt to attack them? Someone's going to die. Probably a Latin person. Which is probably going to turn the opinion of the Latin people towards or against these new Trojans. Against, they've just met them, and one of the first things they ever do is take Lavinia from one of their locals and kill one of your stags? They sound a little Parisian, they sound a little Trojan here. In any case, she calls for help, the farmers grab their tools, and their father Tyrus rouses all to war. Electo sounds the war trumpet! And it's heard throughout the Italian countryside. So all the men, they grab their weapons, and they gather at the Trojan camp and are met by the Trojans in support of Ulysses. And there, 
Almo, Tyrus's eldest son, brother to this other Lavinia, or Sylvia, excuse me, is slain. And also Galisus, a rich Italian, who called for peace. He tries to get in the middle and call for peace, and he gets slain while doing it. Well, their bodies are picked up by these farmers, picked up and taken straight into the city of Latium. And actually, Electo goes to Juno and says, I have done what you wanted. Started a war against Aeneas. With your permission, I will spread the war throughout Italy. Juno responds, You've done more than enough. Now that Aeneas gets his bride and land at such a terrible cost, Jupiter would not want you here any longer, and I can take care of any other work that needs to be done. She says, Your bros go away, please. Thank you. Uh, so Electo returns to the underworld through a cabin in the center of Italy. All right. The Latins then bring the two dead bodies in Almo and Galisus to the city of Latinus, the city Latium. When they bring these bodies in, it's the same moment that Turnus arrives with his contingent. Perfect timing. And Turnus rages against the Trojans and the lack of honor shown him personally. This is too much for a second Paris to show up and to act in this way, to kill two of their men and to take a woman once promised to one of their local men. The relatives of the women surround Latinus and they demand war against these new people. He stands firm in his refusal, though. He says, no, it is prophecy that we be joined to these people and become great when we join to these people. You fools are being ruled by your emotions. You need to listen to reason. They will not. Absolutely. He stands firm in the refusal like a rock pounded by the beating waves. The beating waves are the passions of his people. And as they continue to demand, Latinus cries out, We are broken by our fates and will suffer for it. But Tarnish, you will pay the highest price. We will see this. And worship the gods too late. I am too old. And am only robbed of a happy death. He says, you are all the fools who will pay for this. Not me. I'm old. I'm going to die soon anyway. The only thing I lose is a peaceful happy death. In any case, he withdraws from public life. Gives up his powers. And then we get... A, a bit of ekphrasis about the gates of war and Janus. Janus is, of course, the god of doors, and this is a doorway that will open to death and war. The gates of war were also known to be gates that were held perpetually open in Rome during times of war, but were closed during the Pax Romana. And so what is happening now in the Aeneid is the opposite of what would have been happening historically at that time in Rome, because, of course, the, the, the war that had preceded this, the most recent war, had been the Roman Civil War between Pompeius Magnus and Caesar, and that had been put to rest about 15 years before the construction of the Aeneid. Remember, 45 to 49, uh, and the Aeneid was constructed 31 to 18 BCE. In any case, even though Latinus refuses to open the gates, Juno, or the evil will, the angry will of people, opens it herself. Throughout Italy, all people fashion and ready their weapons and gather as a password for war is spread all throughout the land. All right, now we have to fast forward all the way to book 12. A little bit of context. Aeneas has, during this time, gone off to a people, a people known as the Arcadians. There, in this rustic place, he has met Evander. Evander has bequeathed unto Aeneas uh, reinforcements as well as his son Pallas. Aeneas has had to make one promise, though. Do not allow Pallas, 
who will become his good friend to die. In Book 11, unfortunately, Pallas is killed by Turnus. Turnus kills him and strips him of his war belt, just as Hector had defeated Patroclus and stripped him of Achilleus' armor. This will be very much in the mind of Aeneas during Book 12, which we will talk about now. Turnus resolves to fight against Aeneas alone, despite the pleas of Latinus and Amata. We will call here uh, Hecuba and Priam, and they're pleased to Hector. Please do not go out and fight against Achilles. He will certainly kill you. There's a, this is a very similar situation. In fact, it looks less as if Turnus is a Satan Achilles here, him occupying more of a place of Hector, and more like who is occupying the place of a second Achilles. Aeneas. Though once a second and then a third Paris, he now looks the figure of a second Achilles. Look at all the parallels here. Aeneas puts on his armor, responds to the offer, preparations for war and peace on the divine and human level we see. The Rutulians and the Trojans march out to face each other in battle formation. Disguised Jaterna, this is the sister who is a goddess of Turnus, breaks the peace with a false omen, which is interpreted by Tolumnius to mean the Rutulians should fight at once. As he attempts to stop the fighting, Aeneas is wounded. An arrow is shot, hits him in the leg, so he receives a wound. Turnus rushes into battle, wreaking havoc everywhere. All right, this is just a, a grand melee at this point, but there will be single combat soon. Aeneas is then healed by Venix and Yapix. Arming again for battle, he speaks for the only time as father to Ascanius. We then see the Aristea of Turnus and Aeneas on the battlefield, while Venus encourages Aeneas to attack Lysinus' city. When he does, a panic breaks out. During this panic, Amata, very sadly, like Dido, like Jocasta, commits suicide. Sorry. Turnus and Lee learns of Amata's death and overcomes uh, Jaterna's pleas and heads for the city for combat with Aeneas. They're coming closer and closer together. The single combat is coming. Aeneas and Turnus then clash for the first time in the midfield like two bulls fighting to death over control of the herd as the animals watch in fear. Who is the alpha? Who is the top dog? And Jupiter holds up his scales. We recall him holding up his scales, I, I believe, was it, it was either for Hector Achilles or for, yes, it was certainly for Hector Achilles. And whoever weighs heavier is the person who either lives or dies. In this case, uh, yes, whoever is heavier has the fate that sinks down, will die. That will, of course, be Turnus in this case. Turnus then strikes with his sword, which then shatters. Apparently, he had brought the wrong sword to the battle. He had not brought his somewhat magical sword that could penetrate godly armor. Aeneas has, at this point, received Hephaestian Vulcanian armor, which is very like whose armor at the end of the Iliad? Yes, Achilles. Yes, just like Achilles had a mother who was a goddess, and because of his relationship to her, he received improved armor after losing his first bit. So is the case here with Aeneas. Yes. Very good. Excellent connection. I was thinking about that myself. Did Turnus' sword break like Menelaus's in the Iliad? I would say that is the connection that I make as well. Yes, very much so. In any case, in any case, this sword was not enough. It was enough for ordinary men, but not enough for God-made armor like Aeneas has. And so Aeneas, now slowed by his wounded knee, pursues like a hound tracks a stag. Turnus needs a new sword. And he runs in circles, running in circles. Well, who do we recall? Who does he remind us of now? Running from his opponent in circles away from him. Yes, Hector. And the three times 
that he ran about Troy running from Achilles as he saw his own death in the form of Achilles pursue him. Yes, so like a dream, when you cannot escape the person behind you nor catch the person in front of you, was how it was written. In any case, he Turnus runs and asks for his father's sword. He goes on in five great circles rather than three. Remember that the point of moving forward in history is not to match that which happened before, but to go beyond it. In any case, Turnus runs around in five circles. Hector only in three. The Aeneid has more. So, Aeneas then, after throwing a spear and failing to... End, after throwing a spear and failing to hit Turnus, had it stick into a stump. And we actually recall this very much from uh, Achilles' fight, I believe it was against Polydorus, or mm -hmm. it was either him or Lycaon, I can't recall this particular moment, when Achilles threw a spear so hard that it stuck in the ground, and when his opponent tried to pull it out, it took him so long to pull it out that Achilles uh, had time to come and disembowel him. I think it was actually Lycaon. But it might have been Polydorus. We'll have to look that up at some point. In any case, while he is doing this, Turnus prays, O Faunus and Earth, help me if I have worshipped you properly when Aeneas and his men have not. And during this time, Deterna, his sister, brings his sword to him. Breaking the action. We recall, Juno has been the reason for all of this chaos. The entire time we've been here, from book one, when she sent Aeneas by, be by means of storm all the way down to Carthage rather than to take him to Latium. Uh, she also, of course, was responsible partly for the destruction of Troy itself and for this new enmity and animosity between the Trojans and the Latins. She's been responsible for all the horrors that have happened for these Trojans. If only she could give way to her anger or give her, give her anger away, then perhaps the Trojans could know peace. And finally, we see a resolution between great Jove and his wife, Juno. To Juno, sitting on a cloud, Jupiter says, What will be the end? You know what Aeneas is destined to be. Was it right for Aeneas to be wounded, or Turnus to get his sword back through Juturna? Stop your grief and angry words. You had the power to harass the Trojans, but I forbid anymore. He puts his foot down. Submissively Juno. I have abandoned Turnus and thus you see me here and not in battle. She's not even there helping him. Killing Trojans. I only encourage Juturna to help her brother no more. I will help them no more. She capitulates. I ask only one favor in return. When the marriage is done, let the Latin people not change into the Trojans. This is very important. Let Latium and the Alban kings rule. Let the Roman race be strong with Italian virtue. And let Troy and its name fall together. Jupiter, stop your rage for I grant your request. The Trojans will disappear into the Latin race. So the Trojans will die. They will die by melding into a new people. With the Latins that will become Romans. I will add their sacred rites. They will become one race with one language. In fact, they will no longer speak Greek or any of the many Trojan languages. They will speak Latin. This people will surpass all others in its worship of you. And then Juno agreed and joyfully leaves <coughs> her cloud. She does get what she wants. The Trojans will disappear. But will it be through war or through peace? Through peace, indeed. And so, here comes the end.
Jupiter then sends a fury to frighten Turnus and scare away Jaterna. She laments her brother's fate and reluctantly leaves the battlefield. Turnus is left all what? Alone. Just like who? Was left all alone by the gods, Hector, to receive his fate. The final battle begins. Shaking a huge spear with an angry heart, Aeneas says, What delay now, Turnus? No matter how you change or what courage you summon, we will fight. And Turnus to him, You and your angry words don't scare me, but Jupiter and the gods as an an enemy terrifies me. In fact, there's a, a tiny little bird that's sent down. Uh, it's a fury that flaps in front of Turnus and sort of freaks him out. And so Turnus, is a, I always love this part, he picks up a huge stone to hurl at Aeneas. So like Diomedes or Aias the Greater picking up a stone. And when he hurls it, ah! It is such a powerful throw that it makes it almost to Aeneas. And then falls ineffectually right in front of him. Oh my goodness. The stone does not even reach Aeneas. How? What? Embarrassing. And everybody circled around watching this fight, by the way. He picks up a huge stone, originally places a boundary marker in the field, and attempts to hurl it at Aeneas, but his strength fails him in an attempt. And the stone does not reach its target. He is like a man in a dream. Ah. This recalls to us very much Hector and Achilles, who were both like men in dreams. One who could not catch the other, and one who could not escape the other. When his every effort falls short from running to speaking, Aeneas then hurls his huge spear. And no siege engine ever made a roar. You all know how it sounds when a plane goes overhead or a jet. It makes a whoosh sound as the spear tears through the air, tearing to destroy the life of Turnus. And the spear tears through Turnus' shield, wounds his leg, and sends him to the ground. This is an image of that. And there on the ground, Turnus turns suppliant. He is defeated. I have earned this. If you have any pity for a father like Anchises, send me back, or send back me, or my dead body to my family. You have one, and Lavinia is yours. Do not extend the hatred any further. He capitulates gracefully, I would say. He says, I am defeated, and if you wish to kill me, send my body back, please. But if not, great. And Aeneas considers feeling pity in this moment, feels pity. He is about to not strike the final blow until, gleam, 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 something catches his eye. Oh, and what is it that had caught his eye? The war bell of Pallas, his friend who he had promised not to allow to die, who had been killed himself by Turnus so recently. Upon seeing his friend's war belt so arrogantly brandished by the man who killed him, what fills his soul? Rage. Fury. Precisely the same emotion that filled whose soul all the way back in the beginning of Book One of the Iliad, which started our course. Achilles. A second Achilles is reborn. Will he now be defeated? And Aeneas says, fired up with fury and rage. Would you, dressed in my family's spoils, be snatched away from me? Pallas sacrifices you and takes his punishment from your accursed blood with this wound, and he buries his sword in Turnus's breast. He strikes Turnus in the way that Achilles did not have the opportunity to strike Agamemnon, kept from doing so by the wisdom of Athena. 
and Turnus's limbs are loosened with the chill of death, and his life angrily flees with a groan beneath the shadow. Just as the Iliad began with rage, so does the Aeneid end with one. And thus, the cycle of rage, unchecked by the mind of man and the wisdom of Minerva and Athena, continues ever on. And that, students, was the course, and that, students, was the Aeneid.